Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical lead or a practice manager and your primary care network to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to deliver some of your projects and network-based services, I would absolutely love to help you. So come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So on today's podcast, I am interviewing the lovely Anisha Patel. Anisha is a pharmacist with a passion for global pharmacy, education, research. And at the time of recording, Anisha works at the Evelina Children's Hospital in London and has just secured a new role there. Anisha has worked internationally and she set up services from scratch in the United Arab of Emirates. She is the host of the Pharmacist Diaries podcast, which is absolutely amazing. I am a listener and I am a huge, huge fan. And Anisha is part of our Business of Healthcare Scholarship and she received a mentorship package. She's absolutely amazing. She's really, really positive. And on this podcast, we talk about managing transitions and making the most and really selling our transferable skills. We talk about global pharmacy, what that means and why Anisha is so passionate about it. And given her experience of working internationally, um, it's, it's very obvious. We also talked about positivity, setting up our day for success, routines, the power of discipline and consistency, but also being kind to ourselves when we get those pinch points in our life where it just gets really busy and we can't do everything. And I absolutely love this interview. I'll be honest, I recorded this in the morning. I'd received some not great news and speaking with Anisha has really perked me up. I love listening to her podcast and I love following her on social media. I know you guys are absolutely going to love this. Enjoy. So hi, Anisha. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. So I first came across you. It was on, I think you had had somebody on your podcast and they had shared it on LinkedIn. And at the time, I still don't see very many female podcasters in the healthcare space. So every time I see somebody, like I always like want to talk to them and be like, oh yeah, we do, you know, like it's, we've both got a podcast, let's just chat. So you were very kind. Then I found you, kind of followed you from LinkedIn to Instagram. And then we had a conversation and then you were going to come onto the podcast like ages ago. It was like last summer. And then I launched my scholarship and life got a little bit crazy. And then you applied for the scholarship and you got a mentorship. And then I was like, I always wanted you to come onto the podcast and now the timing is finally right. So could you give my listeners a little bit of an introduction to what you do and what your passions are? 
So I am a pharmacist. I have specialised now in paediatrics and I work at the Evelina London Children's Hospital, which is part of um, Guy's and St Thomas's. I've been there for just over a year, so I'm quite new to paediatrics, but I absolutely adore it, any aspect of it. And I'm going to, this year I'm specialising in palliative care. And I also do a lot of education and training. So I have a part-time job um, at King's College London with the pharmacy department. So I was initially doing uh, more undergraduate pharmacy students, but now I'm moving over to the postgraduate team next week, actually, because I've just landed myself a new job. (laughs) In terms of passions, in pharmacy, I mean, obviously, I've chosen a paediatric group, which I adore and love so much. But there are lots of elements of pharmacy that I thoroughly love. And the main thing I think I'm, I'm good at and I really flourish in is kind of networking communication and elements of leadership which I got exposed to when I was living out in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and part of that kind of encouraged me to develop my own podcast so when I started working at King's last year I'm obviously working with you know undergraduates so pharmacy students and the first year students were quite clueless as to what pharmacists actually do and during the height of COVID I randomly just thought I don't know. It's weird because I had this, my husband started a podcast. I went on to his podcast, super nervous, but thought, you know, let's, let's give it a go. And after I finished that, I was so excited about doing something virtual, having listeners and and people really loved it. They, they really enjoyed it. And from that, I created my own. So I've created a podcast called Pharmacist Diaries. It's a weekly podcast where I interview pharmacists in terms of their career journey. So we look at why they chose pharmacy, you know, where their passions lie and thinking about how they transition from one job to the other, kind of interview tips, CV writing tips, and just exposing people, not just students, but actual pharmacists about what pharmacists actually do and what career options are available. So on the podcast, we've got so many incredible people from all over the world. So I've recently interviewed a Ugandan pharmacist, lots of Americans and Australian. But in the UK, we've got industry pharmacists, academia, research pharmacists, hospital pharmacists, community. We're 20 episodes in and I'm really, really enjoying it. And part of that is the the love of communicating and networking and growing, I guess, my own passions within pharmacy because I've now kind of discovered by chance, how much I love global pharmacy and how I really want to get involved with things internationally. And having worked internationally, I didn't really think that, you know, global pharmacy was something, it just didn't, I guess when I thought about it, of course, I'm a global pharmacist, I've worked internationally, but when you are going through your day to day, you don't really think that you are working globally. So that's something I want to pursue and think about doing research in third world countries within pediatrics. So Yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. So can you talk to me more about global pharmacy? So what do you mean when you say that? So when I talk about global pharmacy, my passions sort of lie with improving clinical services. So in the UK, in the US, obviously pharmacy services are currently quite advanced. And having worked in Abu Dhabi, which is not a third world country, but it's quite new, obviously, United Arab Emirates has been around for less than 50 years. So the pharmacy services are still developing. 
So the services that are provided, so let me give you an example. So in hospitals, you only have one to two clinical pharmacists in general in individual hospitals. While here, I work in Garden St. Thomas's, there's well over 500 members of staff, you know, well over 100 pharmacists who are all clinical. So a lot of the time, they're working in the pharmacy and they're not necessarily going to the wards. They're not doing MDTs. They're not going on ward rounds. They're not running clinics. So it, it's very different. So when I realized how much knowledge I had from working in the UK and how I could support service development in Abu Dhabi, which I did mainly with paramedics because I worked in emergency services, but I also worked for Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, which is an amazing American hospital. Their services are incredible. So when I got to work for them, I got to see how we could improve the pharmacy services. So this kind of gave me that idea that actually it's really interesting to see the changes, to get that reward back from helping to develop services and do service improvement. And recently in the UK, there's been a lot of sort of collaboration, especially with COVID and everything going virtual. There's a lot of collaboration between the UK and third world countries. So recently, the Commonwealth Pharmacists Association, they created a fellowship program for pharmacists. So if you were awarded that fellowship, you would work with a third world country within the Commonwealth. So Uganda, Tanzania, and you collaborate with a hospital, for example. So most of those um, pharmacists were working on antimicrobial stewardship. Pharmacists from here were going out to Uganda for sort of a week at a time, four times a year, to have a look at what kind of services that they provide, look at what they're doing with antimicrobial stewardship and kind of improving that. Looking at their supply chain and seeing what types of antibiotics they have available, like checking guidelines to make sure that they work well for the country, but also fit in with international guidelines. And at the same time, the Ugandan pharmacists were coming to the UK to see what services we have and then improve the services that they have at home by exposing them to a new environment. So all of these sort of things are starting to develop. There is a pharmaceutical organization called FIP, which is like an international pharmaceutical federation, and they do things globally. So they're a really good organization that kind of do global pharmacy. And it's improving everything from clinical services, you know, the knowledge of pharmacists. You look at the supply chain because internationally, obviously, and, and everywhere due to even due to COVID and, you know, Brexit, you know, we're struggling to get medications in. It's not as easy as it used to be. So we're having to alter the types of like medications that we're supplying to patients, you know, cost effective drugs, etc. So kind of combining that international work and doing it globally makes it easier for everybody. Everyone can kind of learn and, and improve services from working together, really. It, it just sounds, all comes back to collaboration yeah. and networking. It sounds incredible. When you were a student pharmacist, did you have any idea that this world exists around global pharmacy and you could have your own podcast and you could do research and you could do teaching? Not really. And it's kind of part of the reason why now that I'm a lecturer and I'm 10 years into my career, which I'm still an early pharmacist, I don't consider myself really experienced because there is so much I still need to learn. And there are so many areas of pharmacy that I still want to get involved in. That I haven't ha had the opportunity to do yet. And part of the reason why I thought, you know, if I focus on careers and exposing people to what's out there, I didn't have that available to me. For me, I, as a student, I felt there were community pharmacists 
industry pharmacists, hospital pharmacists and lecturers who work in academia. Those are the kind of four areas that I thought about. But pharmacy has expanded considerably. Like now, if you think about like integrated care networks and systems, you know, you've got these CCG pharmacists who are working on guideline development, cost effective medications, you know, what each kind of trust and what each, you know, region can use, depending on what kind of, you know, disease groups they have within that area. You've got pharmacists who are working in GP practices now, which is amazing. But we still obviously have to work on their development because there's not necessarily kind of educational postgraduate programs which support the GP practice pharmacists to the same extent as there are for hospital pharmacists or community pharmacists. So that is in development. So things have really, really changed at a rapid pace. And but when I speak to the students now, it still feels like the same in terms of, you know, their understanding of pharmacy it still feels the same as when I was at university. So when you ask a first-year student or a second-year student what pharmacists do, they still give the same answer that I did. And though things have expanded and changed, for some reason that communication has not fed down to you know, young 18, 19-year-olds. I'm not sure exactly why, but I do know what's in within, within my power, creating a podcast and getting that out there and exposing people to what's available what kind of skills they have to have in order to get those types of jobs. The fact that you can transition from one job to another. So like my career, I've transitioned to so many different jobs, which is part of the reason why I guess I'm quite, um, I have a lot of variety in my skill set because I've done lots of different, different things. But I think the students feel that once you choose your community pharmacist, you sort of stay as a community pharmacist it's difficult for them to then transition into a hospital job because there are so many pharmacists out there who have hospital experience that when a community pharmacist tries to apply to transition into hospital, they don't necessarily always get the jobs because the hospitals obviously choose people who've got the experience that's already there, which is really challenging for them to then try and make that transition. So in the podcast, I've tried to choose people who have done a lot of transitioning and tried to get them to explain how they've done it. Like, how have they, how do they sell themselves in terms of skills? You know, it doesn't matter that you haven't worked in a hospital environment, but understand and be aware of what you're good at. So you can sell yourself to say that, actually, I may not have worked in a hospital, but my problem problem solving skills are excellent because of x y and z working in a community pharmacy like think about a community pharmacy and there's one pharmacist you know sometimes there's two or three but generally there's one pharmacist you are a lone ranger you work on your own you have to make all the decisions on your own you're fully responsible for solving problems for making changes to prescriptions with gps you know you get emergencies coming through your door where you have to then refer them potentially straight to A&E. And that responsibility that you have, you don't always have as a, as a hospital pharmacist because you've got a huge team of people to rely on if you've got issues. So that's a skill set that they have that they need to learn to sell in order to transition to another job. And I don't think they necessarily do that as much as they should. How did you know to do that? I knew how to do that because when I moved to Dubai, I I mean, I applied to so many places, so many agencies trying to find jobs. And it was really, really, really 
challenging. And I was I was just about to leave. It was about 10, 11 months into living there. No luck. And it's completely different applying for jobs there because in community pharmacy, when they look at my CV, they automatically think that I am overqualified. And because there aren't necessarily the same discrimination laws as there are in the UK, they can advertise for a pharmacist and write a 35-year-old male um, Filipino or Indian. So, um, and they and they can make, they are allowed to obviously give a Filipino or Indian or Syrian pharmacist a different salary to a UK or a US pharmacist. That equality is very different. And it's it's pretty much accepted in society there. And so when they look at my CV and see that I'm from the UK, I think that they they think I'm overqualified, that I'm obviously going to expect a higher salary. And you don't even get a call back. So I went through months and months of having just finished a, an amazing residency with the John Radcliffe in Oxford, an amazing teaching hospital. I felt like three years into my career, I was at like the height of you know clinical pharmacy I had all this knowledge and nowhere to use it and I was just about to come home and I said to my husband don't worry like I don't want to lose my knowledge by kind of enjoying myself here like going to the beach every day and going to the swimming pool and enjoying the gym and but for me it just felt like it was like a roadblock I was a resident doing night shifts you know working you know crazy hours I was flying back and forth from Dubai for long weekends. Like I'd finish a night shift at eight in the morning, get a bus to Heathrow from Oxford to catch a, a midday flight and then spend three days in Dubai and then take a night flight back to Heathrow, get the bus back and get to work at 11 o'clock on the same day that I arrived, like with my suitcase ready to go to work. And it was just a constant nonstop, like rotations every three months, doing night shifts, being responsible for 1,600 patients on your night shifts alone, bleeps just going crazy, finishing my clinical diploma, which takes three years in the residency, traveling back and forth, and suddenly I have nothing to do. And the amount of times I had to rewrite my CV, kind of understand where my skills were to try and sell myself to different jobs. In fact, I started to look outside of pharmacy for a couple of months because I thought, where can my skills be transferable? I was looking at different types of sales jobs. It was crazy. So I said, oh, I'm going home. Like, I'm done with this. I will locum every couple, like for two weeks and then come back for two weeks because that's doable. And just as I left, I got an email from a company who ended up being National Ambulance, who I worked with, to say that, you know, hey, this, is, this is the job that we have. We're, we're a new organization. We're setting up emergency services. We're basically providing ambulance services to the whole of um, the UAE except Dubai because Dubai had their own services. But from Abu Dhabi all the way to kind of like the Northern Emirates, it could be like 400 kilometers drive. So it's, it's a big kind of area, region that we were covering. And when you looked at the job description, it was really simple, standard bog pharmacist job. And I thought, you know what? It's a really good job great salary, great package. I uh, Let's make it work. So I took the job and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. As a junior pharmacist, I was suddenly leading pharmacy services for the country in ambulances. I was the Formula One pharmacist developing the services for mm -hmm. Formula One, like working with doctors, training them in, in terms of like prescription writing, setting up clinics for the Formula One, making sure we had all the medications available, 
And the company grew at such a fast pace from sort of 20 to 30 ambulances up to 150 within a year and a half. So staff were coming internationally, left, right and centre. And I had to train them all up because I just thought like, oh, my God, all these people are coming from different countries. They used to using different types of drugs. I have to create an education program. So when they do their induction, they also understand how pharmacy works, how they get their supplies, what to do with control drugs, because they're completely different rules to the UK. And I learned so many different skills in this job. And I worked directly with the medical director for the organization. So my skill set completely changed by chance. And this, after a couple of years of doing this job and working with the government, like originally paramedics couldn't administer drugs. I mean, you'd listen to my podcast mm. and they weren't, didn't have access to anything. We built a pharmacy, created drugs, imported from all over the world. We changed law for the country to allow paramedics to do a much better job and actually save lives rather than just transferring from one location to a hospital, for example. Like if you turn up at a, a road traffic accident, all they can do is put the patient into the ambulance and go as fast as they can to a hospital. They've got no access to pain medications. If someone's had a heart attack, no access to medications to treat that immediate need, which is what saves the lives. So my skill sets completely changed. And when I came back to the UK, I had to sit down and sort of think, where do I go now? I've done some really different types of jobs. Where do I fit in? How do I transition back to the NHS? And what are my skills that I can sell? So I kind of mapped it out really to try and say that actually I've not worked with pharmacists in education and training. I trained paramedics, but actually these are all the skills that I gained from this role and they are 100% then transferable to teaching yeah. pharmacists like I know I'm not necessarily teaching the same content I'm not necessarily teaching undergraduate students because these are paramedics that I was teaching who were uh, they're obviously qualified and you're doing induction programs rather than potentially clinical training so there was a lot of content that I had to learn clinically but the skill set was there and I knew the skill set was there. I'd been running training sessions for like two, three years for hundreds and hundreds of staff. So I just had to have the kind of confidence to say to myself, you can do it. You just need to convince someone else that you can. And using enthusiasm um, and kind of positivity and demonstrating what I did in a short space of time really helped me then to sell that transferable skill. That's how I did it. And to be fair, I, I was winging it because I didn't know that that's, I didn't know about transferable skills until I was given the opportunity to work in a job where it would allow me to grow. I wasn't expecting this job to be what it was. And when only when I reflected and looked back on it, did I then realize, oh my God, how amazing it is. Yeah. That I developed so many skills in leadership and management mm -hmm. and service improvement I love service improvement I'm crazy about it I love it <laughs> and I think for those people that are listening I think we're collecting transferable skills in everything that we do every single day and that you're honing them and I sometimes think the things that we if we really enjoy them they feel easy and sometimes we don't give them as much weight because we think well I can do this everybody could do this in your podcast you said 
so you find it really easy to talk to people and not many people can go to another country go from country to country to country to different places and just by themselves and create that friendship or family network and you, I remember you just saying I just find it so easy and I think it's I really struggle people say to me how do you network and it's like I can do it obviously I do it but I don't the thought of and I like my own company but the thought of networking and walking into a room and I think people still find that really really daunting but to you it's easy and I think it's that it's those skills that you find easy that will take you far and also so valuable to other people they really really are so one of the things you talked about is positivity and that is so one thing I'm a bit of a fan one thing I love about your Instagram page is that you're like you've got your early morning routine you're always posting positive quotes you do it with your husband so you both have a very similar mindset and I'd love could you share a little bit more about what's led to you it seems like it's a structure but in a good way that you've got a structured morning routine what led to that and how do you keep it up because I must I'm an early bird but it's tiring <laughs> like getting up at 4 30 every day I'm tired I don't yeah I'm tired so uh, my husband's background I mean he used to work in finance and recruitment but he then moved to when we were living in Dubai or even before I arrived he moved to become a um, personal trainer and working in fitness so he would always start work at, at 6 a.m. And he would always wake up like he's a very regimental human. Like he wakes up at 4, 4.30 back then. Four, I think it was, you know, would have his breakfast, kind of like have his own little morning routine. And he's always done it. While at that time, when I was kind of in my 20s, early 20s, I was I found it really challenging to wake up super early in the morning. And since I've gotten married and live with him, I've noticed how much I've basically transformed into my husband. Um, <laughs> we've kind of transformed to fit into each other's personalities and routines. So I've become more of a morning person. And at first it felt really forced. But as you get used to it, it just becomes a normal part of life. And then for quite a few years, we've both kind of woken up at least five o'clock and even when we were in Abu Dhabi, one of the most beautiful things about living there is at five o'clock when I used to wake up and I used to do yoga and the apartments there are really beautiful, really massive windows, like floor to ceiling kind of open spaces where the sunrise would be absolutely gorgeous in the morning. And I would do an hour, an hour and 15 minutes of yoga before I went to work. And this is even after I had a baby. I would wake up before she got up to make sure that I got in my exercise before I started my day. And that yoga, because I've been doing yoga for years, has provided me the grounding and given me the opportunity to have headspace before I get to work and everything turns really hectic potentially. And at least I know that I've started my day right. I've started my day by myself. I've started my day reflecting. I've started my day with a bit of gratitude. I've moved my body, which I feel is really important. That stretching and kind of like activating your body and waking it up slowly has always been kind of part of my routine. I'm the kind of girl who loves scents. So I'm always kind of like lighting candles and kind of like starting my day slow. And it's always worth it. 
And when we came back to the UK, we really struggled to kind of get back into that routine. The, obviously, the cold, you know, the rain, the grey days, the darkness, it really, it did affect us. You know, routines were up and down, like much longer commutes, like dealing with a toddler was completely different to, you know, dealing with a baby. So we did find it hard when we first came home and transitioning back into it. We were still doing it regularly, but not as regularly, especially when uh, Lily's an early riser. She likes to wake up at 5 a.m. too. So when you wake up at five and you're like, yeah, I'm good to go. I'm going to do my yoga. And then a one and a half year old is like awake. And when I when she's awake, she's just she's alive. You know, she's got like crazy amounts of energy. She wants to play. She wants to, you know, have breakfast. She wants to do everything. So you don't have that time. But I gave myself forgiveness that, you know, do what you can still wake up at five. If she wakes up, it's OK. But the days that she's not awake, do your thing. And then recently in the last few months, I think what did it for me was James Clear's book, um, Atomic Habits. When I read that, it made so much sense. And making small changes to my day made a huge, huge impact on my life. There were days where I felt guilt, where I didn't do my yoga or didn't go for my run or didn't do my exercise. And I just had to flip my mindset. And thankfully, I have a hugely supporting husband who did it with me because I think I would have found it difficult to do it without him. And because he is so disciplined, it makes it easy. We did everything in our power in the evenings to have everything ready for the mornings. And I know that you do that because you post about like Sundays, you get everything ready for your Monday morning. But Sunday evenings before we go to bed, we put our yoga mats out, we get our kettlebells out, you know, we make sure that we have Alexa and she turns on the lights to wake us up in the morning. So, you know, we, we prepare everything and all those tiny little steps get you ready for the morning is one less thing that you have to do at 4 30 when you wake up so we're literally rolling out of bed in our pajamas not brushing our teeth not washing our faces going straight to those yoga mats and doing a 15 to 20 minute workout and straight after it's like one habit after the other it's like okay i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna brush my teeth and then i wash my face and it's the same i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna do my 15 minutes of exercise get my journal out, sit on the sofa, make a coffee and do my journaling. So I write down little bits of gratitude. If things didn't go so well, I kind of reflect on why they didn't go well and what can I do to improve. If good things have happened, document it. I look back at the past sometimes and kind of think about like good holidays I've been on and why I enjoyed them and think about positive things early in the morning. Because when you have that routine in place and you do it every single day, if anything goes wrong, once you walk out that door, you don't mind. I just feel like if I start my morning doing positive things, doing things for myself, doing things that will help me to progress as a human, as a person, as a professional, and have that positive mindset, then when I get to work and there's just havoc and lots of things don't happen with my task list, which would usually frustrate me, I still feel like, you know what, I've achieved something good today and I've done something good and positive this morning. And that really helps me to keep going. So that's kind of why we kind of have the routine and it works. It really, really works. 
One of the things I just wanted to say is that so where you've said discipline makes things easy and I just want to highlight to our listeners, someone said to me the other day, Ty, you're really disciplined and it it came across like it was a negative. You're really disciplined and very structured and I, and I, for the first time I thought, and that's not positive. (laughs) To me, it does, it does make things easier. It takes the thought, it's one less thing to think about. Or you think about it in a slightly different way. So you don't have to think, oh, where are my clothes? Because the clothes are there. What sort of exercise am I going to do today? Because you've you've planned it. So it just makes, it does, well, it depends on your mindset. But it do, I believe discipline makes it easy. And being quite goal orientated, you start to track it. But then after a while, it just becomes what you do. So you don't have to track it because it's just Monday to Friday, this is what I do. Yeah. The thing is, for me discipline is a time-saving technique I'm not faffing around picking out my clothes in the morning because it's done the night before you know I've got my exercise in the morning so I don't have to do it in the evening I've done something good for myself where I feel happy on the inside and that helps me for example when something emotional happens at work you know I have a very calm sort of mindset when I get to work. I mean, dealing with pediatrics and now going into palliative care, I yeah. really need to work on my emotions because it's going to be such a draining job in so many ways. I'm really looking forward to it and people will think I'm crazy for doing it, but it's going to be a brilliant opportunity to make a connection with with parents as well, which is something that I really feel quite passionate about that. And I feel like helping them is going to be extremely rewarding. But if you are disciplined and if you save time, you can achieve so much more. And people ask me, how do you have a full-time job which is split into two? How do you obviously have a child and kind of be a good parent? You know, how do you have time to enjoy yourself? How do you have time to exercise? The discipline is the answer. The routine and the regularity and the consistency of small things that I do help. Now, I'm not, I have to say as well that it, it's not like I do this 365 days of the year. I mean, two weeks ago, I felt like I was going to melt down because we moved house, moving house and packing and decluttering. We did a lot of decluttering, kind of selling things that we didn't really need because I just felt like we had too much stuff and we were moving into a slightly smaller space, thinking about how we can, you know, store things. So thankfully, our both our parents have helped us to store things that we don't need. We love camping. So basically camping equipment got stored. Okay. <laughs> so all this kind of decluttering and, and finding time to do that meant something else had to give. You can't do all of these activities on top of working full-time, dealing with a child, doing a podcast. And you know how it is. Podcasting, each episode can take, you know, up to seven to eight hours to record, connect with people, edit, do the social media per week. It's very time-consuming. And at the moment, because I'm doing it all on my own, it is basically my evenings. But because I love it that much, it doesn't at all feel like work. To be honest, it's like a hobby for me even though it's work-related and pharmacy-related, it's a hobby. It's completely and utterly a hobby, and I thoroughly enjoy it, so it doesn't ever feel like it's a task. But in those two weeks, I was so overwhelmed by trying to do everything that I I ended up saying to myself that it's okay. Like, I wanted to be, this is part of the military routine and 
kind of not being so spontaneous is that I I said to myself it's a weekly podcast you have to upload a podcast every single week on Monday like that's your goal and you have to achieve it and when you don't achieve it I'm really hard on myself and I really was upset that week where I've gone 20 weeks without having a break and I felt really guilty inside I didn't do it and then wrote my journal about how I felt and then I realized you're an idiot (laughs) break you need to rest to re-energize so though this military routine is brilliant on a day-to-day basis life happens things happen change happens you're you're, you know you're moving house you know things covid covid is a good example of things that you know suddenly maybe a family member might get ill so you're doing you know food shopping you're doing food deliveries to to someone to help out and that takes time and something else has to give so for me, it was understanding where my priorities are. And because the podcast is a hobby, and though I love it, I said to myself, you can give that up for two weeks out of your brain. Don't worry about it. It's not on your task list of outstanding jobs to do. Just take it step by step, day by day, get into the new house, get Lily settled, and then come back to it. And I did that. And I feel really good about it. I feel, you know what, actually, it was nice to get off social media for a week or two. It was nice to have a little bit of break. And you don't have to be this military operational kind of routine all the time. You know, when I go on holidays, it's not like we wake up at 4.30 in the morning, we just wing it and enjoy it and, and be spontaneous. And that's the opportunity for us to do it. And it feels well deserved. But in order to achieve everything I want to achieve, I feel routine is Basically, it's the key. You're preaching to the converted. (laughs) If people want to find out more about you and your podcast, where can they find you online? The podcast is available on most podcast platforms, so Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. So it's called Pharmacist Diaries. And then on Instagram and Facebook, I'm at Pharmacist Diaries UK. And on Twitter, it's Farm Diaries UK. And if you want to email me, then it's info at pharmacistdiaries.com. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no worries. I loved I loved talking to you and it's, it's always good to catch up with you and yeah. kind of, yeah, share our similar experiences with yeah. the podcast and everything. And we've got a similar routine, so it's good. Yeah. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like what you hear, it would be great if you could give us a shout out on social media. You can find me on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram again at THC Primary Care or on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you really like it, it would be great if you left us an iTunes five star rating and review. And I will see you in the next episode. (laughs) 